0: Why did Jack Welsh actually manage to do a lot of uh, kind of good things for General Electric? It wasn't by go- taking long naps and going on long walks in the woods. I mean, I'm sure he did a few of those as well. But it's it's hard work. Innovation isn't easy. Creativity is the hardest work I've ever done. I mean, compared to keeping creative, keeping fit is a walk in the park. I can do that in one hour, four times a week. Creativity, I work hours a day and I still feel it slipping through my fingers.
1: Hi there ladies and gentlemen, today we are joined by a Finnish professor called Alf Rein. He is an author and speaker uh, based typically out of Finland, but today he is out of Copenhagen. Uh, He currently holds the chair of management and organization at the University of Finland. He's a columnist and uh, sits on the board of directors for several companies. In fact, two of his students were the founders of SoundCloud, just to give you an idea. He's consulted to the U.S. government under the presidency of Barack Obama. He's had dinner with Jack Welch, the founder and CEO of General Electric, for roughly two decades. And is well positioned to give a new perspective on the idea of innovation and what it means to do meaningful innovation today. So, today we are going to deep dive into this whole idea of meaningful innovation. Specifically, there's this idea of innovation fatigue. Everybody likes to talk about innovation, very few companies can actually get it right. It's probably the reason why startups go to corporates to die so often. Hashtag SnapScan, Standard Bank. Uh, so, in this episode, what does meaningful innovation actually mean? mean and we unpack that Uh, we also talk about the relationship between marginal gains which is a a famous performance strategy for the british cycling team that they've used to dominate professional cycling tour de france etc for many 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 years um and we explore today the relationship between this idea of a marginal gain strategy and innovation we also talk about innovation culture and we share some african examples of innovation specifically Hippo roller, which allows ordinary villages across Africa to transport water by rolling it on the ground. Uh, If you can believe that, it's just a classic example of great marginal gains based innovation. But he explains the relationship here to this idea of productive undersolving. So pay careful attention to that part of the show, guys, when we are talking about the hippo roller, because I think there's just some fundamental amazing concepts there that I think you guys can chew on straight away and don't forget guys if you'd like to join the conversation you can tweet me at mattbrownza and or drop me an email hello at show.com. I always read all your emails so thank you so much for sending those through so without further ado enter professor Alf Rein. Hello ladies and gentlemen welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Matt Brown show today I'm joined all the way from Finland by professor, author, and speaker Alf. We'll leave it at that. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. And even though it's true, I am from Finland. I'm actually calling in today from sunny Copenhagen. Oh, really? Because uh, these days uh, I'm actually domiciled in Denmark. You know, Finland is a fine country, but the snow gets to you, man. Mm -hmm. Particularly when there's kind of lockdowns and stuff. The snow gets to you. Uh, Here, if it's uh, four flakes of snow, they basically close down the country,
1: so. (laughs) I actually spent some time in Tampere uh, in Finland, and then I spent some time in Copenhagen as well. So I, I think the coldest I've ever been was in Finland. It was minus 15 degrees C, and I remember walking down the street in jeans, just jeans, like no undergarments or anything. I've never felt a pair of jeans freeze before. That was pretty much what happened, so.
0: Yeah, well, minus 15 is, of course, what we call uh, an early spring. Uh, but um, but yeah, it, it can get quite brutal. I, I grew up uh, actually in northern Finland. Not all of the my youth was in northern Finland. And uh, um, you knew it was uh, gotten really cold when the, the temperature couldn't quite be read by the simple uh, thermometer we had. So that only went to about minus thirty. Uh, so when when that was had bottomed out, you knew it's going to be pretty painful out there. Uh, you also learn in Finland, uh, particularly when it's the really cold winters, to, to put plenty of uh, Vaseline on kids' cheeks. Because once I forgot, sent my kid out to play. And when he came back, he was happy as Larry. The only problem is his face was bleeding because it's cracked open from frostbite.
1: Oh, my word.
0: I didn't, when my then wife got home, I didn't get father of the year awards. Let's just say I, I, I was told off in, in very colorful terms.
1: <laughs> yeah i'm sure you were jeez i think i, I can totally relate having two young uh, kids myself so <laughs> we don't have that problem here in africa though fortunately
0: <laughs> i i think at the moment if you start to have that problem in africa then we can truly say that climate change has gone overboard
1: mm-hmm. absolutely true absolutely true um so uh for our viewers around the world our listeners around the world who potentially haven't heard of you before we're going to dive into um, some of the pretty awesome books that you that you've read um, you're evidently you're a globally noted uh, trend analyst I suppose innovation thought leader speaker etc columnist. Uh, very, you know, present within the technology space all around Europe. Uh, you mentioned obviously being in Copenhagen and stuff and you've written more than one book, um, Innovation for the Fatigued, Dangerous Ideas. So there's lots to get into uh, today. Uh, but Alf, maybe you could um, get the ball rolling for us and uh, maybe give us the elevator pitch. Like who are you, how how do you want to be thought of today? Set yourself up for the next sort of 60 minutes.
0: Well, um uh- The way I usually present myself is to kind of, you you have to kind of lead with your weakness. And and my weakness is very clearly the fact that I am an academic. I mean, I I am, literally, I'm a professor. Currently, I'm a professor of innovation, design and uh, uh, management at the uh, University of Southern Denmark. Uh, and I've actually been a full professor since the tender age of 31, which is a stupid age to become a professor because you're supposed to become a chair when you're like 60. So your pension goes up. But I, I kind of found myself in this really weird position where uh, I was 31 years of age and I'd, I'd done my career. I, I was finished. I, was, I had the highest title you can get in, in the bizarre field I'm in. So I started to kind of think that, okay, so now I need to do something else. Because, I mean, I can, obviously, I want to stay professor. I, I like a monthly salary. I'm I'm not stupid. But, um, but I need to kind of do something so I don't just become one of these old farts who sit in the ivory tower and kind of only talk to each other. And you know what? What's funny when you're 31 and a professor is you can actually travel anywhere in the world and knock on anyone's door and say, hi, I'm Alf. Uh, I may have kind of a ripped jeans and a dirty T-shirt on, but I'm a professor, you're not, let's talk. So I I kind of uh, started traveling the world and started meeting a lot of really really interesting people, started kind of chatting with the CEOs of various kinds, got invited into bizarre uh, things. And what I've kind of said that I'm an explorer in between the world of industry and academia, So I kind of explore what's happening in the innovation space. Uh, And when I work in industry, I'm sort of the curious academic who asks really silly questions. And when I work in academia, I'm more the guy who who actually has had dinner with Jack Welsh and uh, has uh, visited uh, uh, truly kind of uh, large corporations and worked with them. So I'm in this kind of in-between guy, uh, and I'm pretty happy with that, because uh, I always enjoyed not being the person you can easily pin down, but the person who can ask the stupid questions, the weird questions, the contrarian questions. And uh, through some bizarre luck, I managed to make a career
1: out of that. Well, you make your own luck, apparently. (laughs) So well done. (laughs) Uh, so just meeting on jack welsh uh, obviously he is a very well-known entrepreneur general electric being uh, the ceo of ge for for, well probably 20 odd years or so um and ge being one of those companies that has kind of navigated this exploration Mm -hmm. of you know innovation new product and and trying to remain relevant in a world that's constantly changing um what was it like meeting him oh it's the thing is, when you
0: meet these kinds of people, you, of course, always go in with the the kind of, uh, oh, my God, uh, here I stand, uh, the little old me, and I'm supposed to meet one of these titans. He was uh, remarkably short. Um, very affable. He's, he's not. A, he wasn't a young man even at that time. And there's quite a few years back. His, his delightful wife was with him, and uh, and we had a delightful dinner. It was part of the Nordic Business Forum, a small kind of intimate thing there. Uh, and um, no, so he was he was uh, quite funny and and uh, a true gentleman. But what I can say is, having met people like that, and having kind of met uh, people on the same level. I think it's important not to idolize them too much. I mean, respect should be given. uh, But besides Barack Obama, where I actually literally went tongue-tied when when I met him and my partner did all the talking, uh, I rarely have met anyone where I'd go, oh, this is a true titan. This is somebody on a different planet. They they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. Um, and uh, they have off days, and uh, uh, I've met royalty on off days, and uh, and I think that's nice. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I am blessed because I've gotten to meet truly interesting people and realize that they're just like the rest of us. And I think there is a lesson in there, and and it's a lesson I actually try to teach companies that. When when you actually work with companies and innovation, one of the things that really puts a bee in my proverbial bonnet is that they're all going on about how their industry is special. No matter where you go, the company will always say, well, you know, our industry is very particular. It's very peculiar. And we're the most regulated industry in the world. I've never met a company who is not in the most regulated industry in the world. They absolutely all say the same thing. And then they build this up that how they are so special and how their problems are so unique. And then you kind of go look at it. And it's mostly the same kind of problems everyone has. All companies have the same problems. They don't really have uh, cultures that uh, uh, reward risk-taking experimentation, universal. They don't really listen enough to the ideas already existing within the company. Uh, And uh, they have problems really with reciprocity. Of, uh, it's easy to ask for innovation. It's difficult to, to kind of also have the resources to support it. So just like um, I don't think Jack Welsh was superhuman, uh, even though he was an absolutely charming guy, I don't think there are many companies that have unique problems, not in, at least not in the innovation space. Because the innovation problems that I see Across the globe, no matter whether it's in Africa or the US or Asia, uh, it is more variations of the same problem. Sometimes with a bit of cultural flavor, but still variations of the same universal issues. Sorry, I tend to get a little excited no, no, it's when great. I talk it's about great. this.
1: No, absolutely, no, it's cool. I, I want you to go off on a tangent. It's important because obviously that's sometimes where you find the best, you know, insights, and that's kind of what you know our audience is is really looking for. So. I hear you, though. I, I want, my experience has been very similar in, in the sense that, you know, in the podcasting space, like, I've had some very, very big, well-known, you know, thought leaders in the space of business um, mm-hmm. and, um, like, Crossing the, the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, for instance, you know, it's one of the mm-hmm. most well-known mm-hmm. innovation books in yeah. the history, like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he just pitched up on my screen one day. I was like, damn, it's Jeffrey Moore. But he was just, like, a, a really down-to-earth, you know, lovely, lovely gentleman to your point. Um, and I think, I think, I guess one of the, where I want to go from here is, is, is this idea of, you know, being curious. And I think one of the words you mm-hmm. used was exploration. And I think the mm-hmm. the more I learn through this podcast, the more my audience learns through this podcast. And in my specific case, mm-hmm. it's at the same time, it's I learn how much I just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. and so, the, you know, being curious is sometimes the, great, the, per, the, the greatest conduit to getting to some form of truth, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and I want to maybe ask you a question about that. I mean, if you think about mm-hmm. Jack and Barack and, and all these guys, the great leaders of the world, would you characterize them as being curious about finding the truth or new ways to do things? To what extent is that true? Stay with us. I
0: mean, I've never met a leader uh, who didn't have at least a modicum of curiosity. I mean, everyone I worked with who, who really has achieved great things uh, clearly have, at least has some level of curiosity. And some of the greatest, uh, if you look back at innovation histories, the, the truly greatest innovators tend to be the most curious ones, the ones who never stop asking questions, who never stop getting extra information. But at the same time, I think it's important to kind of know that curiosity is, well, it's, it's in a sense a muscle. That is, uh, you might in your earlier career have been truly curious. You really kind of uh, searched out new questions, searched out new things, but then you get success and uh, success can beget success, but you can also beget a certain kind of lethargy. So quite often when I talk to kind of, and I, now I don't want to name names, but when I talk to kind of big big CEOs. I mean, we're talking Fortune 500 CEOs, uh, the, the true titans of industry. You can still find sparks in them. They, they still, when you kind of push them a little, there is kind of still a little bit of that glint in their eye. But you can also note that they've been they've sort of let their curiosity muscle uh, kind of wither and die. That is, they simply haven't had enough time to, to keep exploring, to keep looking for the new things. And I often get this kind of question to myself. And So so I teach innovation. I teach creativity. I've written books about it. So I should know this stuff. And I get this, oh, so how do you keep your creativity going? And if I was honest, I would say it's a struggle, man. It's a real struggle because, of course, I'd like to rest on my laurels. I'd like to basically just quote from the books I've already written and, and be paid handsomely for that. But I know I can't. But I can sense in myself... I'm 49 years of age, which uh, is a terrifying thing to admit to anyone. Uh, and, and I can sense that, yeah, it, it, every day it takes a little more to keep curious, to keep exploring. And I have a process I use. I read about uh, 250 news articles a day, not through all the way through. Christ, I don't have that much time, but yeah. I skim 250 things. I have a set where, where I kind of go through some tech news, some innovation news, some bizarre news and so on. And every day I kind of find it slightly more work to keep doing that, to keep looking for that kind of spark of inspiration. But the, the, the truth is the same thing is true in the gym. I have to go to the gym because, well, my partner makes me. Uh, and, uh, and I go there and I ache more than I did when I was 20. And my God, those squats never get better and easier. And, and, and I, I was at least before the lockdown we have here, I was actually in decent shape and even with the squats. But I mean, I, I realize it's so much harder work now when I'm this age. But you have to keep working. And the book on creativity I'm writing right now, uh, which was inspired by this, was it kind of has the working title, Hard Graft, because I kind of got so tired of all these creativity books. And then, oh, just go for a walk, have a shower, maybe a little bit of a nap. And I said, oh, my man, I, I I always wanted to curse there, but I don't know if cursing is allowed in this podcast. And I said, damn you, listen, it's not nice any longer. It's, it's, and, and talk to an artist. Talk to a real artist. Go to an artist atelier and go, oh, isn't it fun? You get to paint all day and they look at you like they want to stab you with their bloody pa- palette knife and go, fun. Fun. I get up at 5am. I come here. I mix my paints. I paint like the dickens. I'm on my feet for eight hours. And normally I don't get anything done. Fun. Again, curse word, curse word, curse word. I'm a Finn. We curse a lot now. So, and the point being, it's a struggle. We shouldn't kind of keep this mollycoddled idea that, oh, it's awesome. Let's scroll Instagram a little and we too can become Steve Jobs. Why was Steve Jobs good? He worked like a demon. Joni Ives, uh, one of the greatest designers of all time, complete and utter workaholic. Why did Jack Welch actually manage to do a lot of uh, kind of good things for General Electric? It wasn't by go taking long naps and going on long walks in the woods. I mean, I'm sure I did a few of those as well, but it's, it's hard work. Innovation isn't easy. Creativity is the hardest work I've ever done. I mean, compared to keeping creative, keeping fit is a walk in the park. I can do that in one hour, four times a week. Creativity, I work hours a day and I still feel it slipping through my fingers, Again, sorry for the rant, but uh, if there's one thing I hate, it's this uh I call it the kind of Instagram influencer image of creativity. Let's just take some pictures and uh, go for a mimosa. Doesn't work like that, not in the real world.
1: I hear you on the squat thing. <laughs> it's like it's like I've got to obviously I had to build a gym at at home since covid hit and um yeah, it's funny if you if you stop. It's, it's it's like anything, right? To your point, curiosity is a muscle. And create, you know, and you have to, you know, almost like gratitude, You have to exercise it to continue to to mm. to have that thing in your consciousness in your mindset the whole time. Um, and just like squats, if you stop for like seven days, and you you know, even if you didn't go like heavy, your your my glutes just like die. <laughs> so I'm like hobbling around, and it's just like, and you lose it. It's like it's muscle fatigue, you know, or atrophy. Yeah.
0: You yep. lose it. and here, and here I often work when I work with companies. And sometimes we do, for instance, we do uh, future scenarios. We do a little futures thinking kind of stuff. And uh, you kind of go, okay, so what if um, aliens come to the uh, to Earth, and uh, we have to change our business model around that? And we, what if this, and what if that? And quite often, executives then go, oh, but this is so unrealistic. Why don't we kind of work with our actual problems? And I said, no. Listen, guys, and it's mostly guys, it's a little bit like going to the gym. Now, I'm a big fan of squats. I'm a big fan of compound lifts. Uh, I do more more. When, I, when the gyms are open here because I can't fit the gym in my flat, uh, I do basic powerlifting, no? But I've never done a bench press in real life. I mean, as in outside of the gym, it's not when I go out and play with my kids that it actually comes up doing an an actual clean bench press or a deadlift. Instead, it's stuff like, oh, I need to carry really heavy bags back home or, oh, my God, my eight-year-old has gotten himself down the ravine and now I need somehow to kind of reach down with one arm and yank him up, stuff like that. And the point is, deadlifts help me do that. Deadlifts help me carry heavy stuff and it helps me lift my eight-year-old when he gets himself into trouble. It helps me in a ton of stuff, but it's not a deadlift. In the same way, creativity exercises, particularly the weird ones, like imagining a world in which aliens come and gives us completely novel technology, they might not seem like they train you for creativity in a practical sense, but they do because they stretch your mind. Mm. You start thinking about things in a novel way. And, I mean, the very first kind of instance of kind of strategic foresight was the kind of classic exercises that Shell Corporation did about the notion of what if there is an oil crisis? And there's these wonderful notes from that uh, session in which people are complaining, about, oh, why are we doing this bloody thing? This is completely unrealistic. We're doing a scenario about an oil crisis. Why? And then the oil crisis came two years later and they kind of went okay, we're, we actually trained for this. And that is often for companies. They want to train only for the innovations they know, only for the creativity that seems uh, kind of suitable for them. But I mean, imagine, and as I'm sure you've worked with a lot of corporations as well, imagine if we could run a pandemic workshop for a company two years from now, uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, two years in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would have been laughed out of the room when we said, okay, let's all pretend that we have to do basically work from home for 12 months straight. Uh, and let's imagine there's a f- basically an com- advanced flu that uh, completely changes global economy. The CEO would probably have fired us for wanting to do that kind of ridiculous workshop. But if we persisted and if we'd done it, my God, that company would have been in a magical place. Mm. So now when we look to the future, one of the most important things, of course, the next crisis that comes probably won't be a pandemic. It'll be something else. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be aliens because, well, could be, but I doubt... fun
1: if it was. But it
0: could. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) if only. Um, Particularly if if they have funky costumes. But uh, it could be something that we simply cannot fathom at the moment. I mean... Did you fathom that non-tangible, uh, to- non-fungible tokens could be sold for millions of dollars? Somebody buying a JPEG for six point four million. Mm. I, I'm a creativity expert. I hadn't thought of that.
1: Well, this is it, right? But it's, it's I guess, I, I think uh, maybe this is a good place to start talking about this idea of innovation fatigue because mm-hmm. you know it's, uh, you know, it's very well covered on this show specifically that you know um uh companies especially big ones like to talk innovation but they don't actually want to innovate or they, they can't mm-hmm. it's just really hard you know in organizational inertia blah 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 you know um lack of um whatever there's just so many reasons why companies just stay the same and um and in that context if you think about what you know, the idea of well, what if you did run a, p- a pandemic workshop? You would have been laughed out the room if you, and let's just assume for the purposes of discussion that you had the workshop, okay? And then you said, right, I want all of your staff to work from home. So now, what, what would, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it just wouldn't yeah. fly. So, like, how, how, does, how do you circumnavigate that? Because it's like, oh, we, that sounds really great. Imagine, okay, you can't sell anything to the same customers anymore. You can't do that. You have to sell it to a new customer. A new pro- what are you going to come up with? And you talk about it and you go, I really like these top three ideas, but they die. Typically, they die. Um, and I guess, this is, I suppose this is why startups go to corporates to die right? Because corporates yeah. buy startups to solve this problem quintessentially. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the, in your exploration, in your research, and I love the fact that you, you read so much, you know, 200 plus articles a day, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in all of that, in all of your exploration, research, and deep diving into, into this whole space, what do, you, what do you know to be true about innovation that nobody else knows?
0: Whoa, that's a big one. I, I have an answer. But before I get to that answer, let, let me yeah, sure. start from, from a slightly different point, because I, I think it's important that people who listen to this kind of understand what, what when I say innovation fatigue, what I mean. Sure. And it's, um, so I started understanding innovation fatigue when I started realizing that a lot of the companies I work with were a little bored of me even before I got there. Not not me specifically, but I mean, I started coming to companies, and I remember when I was kind of a fresh-faced young kid, thirty two years old professor, kind of uh, and came in and go, "Hey, my name is and let's work with innovation. yay. and And people were still excited about that. And then, about 10 years kind of rolled along. And, I, and I, I was coming in with pretty much the same shtick. And the sense, hi, I'm Alf. Let's work with your innovation initiative. And I started realizing a lot of people in the audience started going, oh, my God, not this again. I started getting this, oh, my God, are we here again? I've seen this before. My God, if he says disruption, I'm going to punch him. That kind of thing. And I started realizing this is is an actual thing. We turned the whole innovation shtick, the whole kind of talk about innovate or die, uh, and so on, and done it so many times around a lot of people in corporations have seen it to death. They've seen it over and over again, and they stopped believing. I mean, I think in in the heart of hearts, they sort of still believe that there is innovation out there, and they, they believe that they too might be able to connect to it. But the innovation theater, to use a term from Steve Blank, that they see in, in their kind of day to day lives, uh, this doesn't really feel meaningful to them any longer. And I realized that even though I was actually trying to talk about something else, I was kind of brought in as just another actor in their innovation theater. Hiya, buddy. Um, My oh, he can't in. me, of course.
1: In. Yeah.
0: No, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm uh, listening to you no 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 i have three kids uh and uh, at least one of them is similarly cute um the two others are adults so
1: similarly cute so, <laughs> <you>
0: know, <laughs> he's a very cute kid what's his name
1: frank brown do you want to say hello to the world say hello, say hello. you lie frank brown he gets a bit camera well is he camera shut there you go
0: no yeah
1: sorry. okay anyway moving <laughs> on <laughs>
0: yeah You're, indeed sorry no, Alf. You were so, saying go ahead so there's, so there's this innovation fatigue going on and, and it's understandable and we should be kind of open to the fact that it's there. But at the same time, uh, it's, uh, we need to kind of then think, okay, so what, what happens after that? What's got, what happens beyond innovation fatigue? And quite often what I've tried to push for is this kind of notion that when we work with innovation, we need to have this dual thing. One is that we need to accept that it can't be just the buzzwords and the cliches and the, the kind of showy conferences and, oh, let's bring in a startup. And on the other hand, uh, we there are things we need to do that could be misinterpreted as being innovation theater. It could be where there is that kind of tension. Are they serious about this or not? And what I see from the very best companies that work with this is very much a counterintuitive mode. And that is the companies that truly fail to innovate tend to be the ones who try the hardest. And here, again, a sort of a fitness uh, analogy might actually come in. Uh, I don't know about uh, the the area of Africa you're in, but obviously in in the Nordics, we're now getting into the sunny period. Uh, And it's been rainy and it's been awful. And we kind of look, oh, there's sun. We might actually get to go to the beach in about a month or so. Maybe, maybe two. But anyway, who's counting? So in the Nordics, Towards mid-May, mid to end of May, and every gym, day, it's a full of people who are trying to get beach body ready in exactly two weeks. And they come in every day and they can do three to four hour sets. They just go on and on and on and on. And they, they, they just think that if I just push harder and do more and lift heavier, I will somehow magically in two weeks become something, even though I've basically lived off donuts and pizza for the last 11 and a half months. And we will see them, we who, who at least occasionally exercise, and I am no gym rat, let me be the first to tell you. I, I could show you proof, but frankly, that would get this pulled off the air. Um, I, I'm not in great shape. I'm, I'm in decent shape for my age, but I'm not in great shape. Anyway, but I, I still know my way around the gym, and I used to be in great shape when I was younger. And we look at those people doing that kind of two-week Beachbody ready thing. And we laugh at them because they seem so ridiculous. We all know that's not how fitness works. Yet it's the exact same way many companies work. They get desperate and they go, oh, we need to innovate. Let's get a consultant and let's run a workshop. No, not one workshop, five workshops. Let's get an innovation evangelist. And then we need to have uh, an incubator. Yes, an incubator. Just an incubator? No, let's also get an accelerator. Uh, and uh, could we do something else? Uh, how many consultants do we have? Four? Oh, let's give six. And then they kind of do all these things. They just cram this innovation stuff. They, I know a company. They, they literally asked, can we buy a copy of your book for everyone in the company? And of course, I thought, oh, hell yeah, uh, I, buy two. They can give one to their partner. Uh, But I sort of had to say, because I still try to keep some kind of ethics in what I do, even though it, it did hurt me deeply inside. I sort of said, maybe what they need right now isn't more books and isn't more workshop and isn't more seminars. It's kind of that you scale back this thing a bit and kind of think about how do we make this meaningful Because, hell yeah, you should all buy a copy of my book, and to anyone listening, you should buy 10. Uh, It's a great Christmas gift, and Christmas will come sooner than you think. But you can't always force it. And the great innovation companies, and and I'm coming to a point here, even though it doesn't seem like it, tend to be the ones who, who can say, yeah, right now we're not innovating. Right now, we're, we're putting a, a break on that, a small moratorium. We're, we don't want to kind of just yammer on about innovation all the time. Uh, but once we've passed these next two months, we're going to have a focus on innovation again. And, and we're truly going to do that and who actually live up to that. That is, who understand, much like Jim March, uh, James March wrote ages ago, wrote this brilliant article about uh, exploration versus exploitation. How, how the learning organization needs to balance these two. There are times for, for exploitation when we just get down to business. We utilize what we have. We try to generate value. You know how to do a podcast, well, then you record a lot of podcasts. But there are also times for exploration. But you can't always do one kind of... You can't just do exploration all the time, continuously. You'll get tired. You'll get exhausted. And you can't do just exploitation. So the really great companies balance and cycle these to make sure that there are periods when people don't feel fatigued by innovation talk and uh, by innovation consultants and innovation initiatives and get sent innovation books ever so often. Mm. But uh, because that makes those those innovation moments or exploration moments feel just so much bigger and stronger and more impactful.
1: Yeah. Yeah so much I agree with. I think just to add, I mean, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think if I'd spoke about innovation on this podcast, it, like all the time, I would I'd shoot myself. <laughs> I mean, like it's just, you know, it's like, okay, guy, I've heard this before. Uh, yeah, no, I've heard about that, that case study. Yes, we heard about that Airbnb. Yeah, no, okay, we got it, we got it. Um, but I think to your point, I mean, just in our business, we, uh, for the... Last I would say probably four years we've we've been specializing just in tech selling mm-hmm. the same some lots of sales innovation like internal innovation not mm-hmm. not product innovation necessarily mm-hmm. but pricing and this kind of stuff revOps and stuff um, and but same customers' pretty much the same product and then mm-hmm. more recently we've now diversified into financial services um, mm-hmm. literally and, and this is now I'm using this to Provide context to what you've said. We didn't say we didn't need to diversify into financial services for the last four years. It's just now we're saying, okay, well, how do we go from like a twenty million business to a eighty million business, as an example, mm-hmm. and how do we just grow faster? You know, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's talk about financial services and what would that look like. And I guess mm-hmm. that's when I'd phone Alf, Professor Alf, and go, hey, "Listen, can you now run a workshop for me? Here's the context." But it's a mm-hmm. it's an it's a, it's an intervention, not an always-on strategy. Is that loosely what you're what you're saying? Yes, exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. No, it's it's uh, it's to know when you want to do kind of twist that uh, screw. Uh, to know when you, you want to to kind of have that in real engagement, and and it's because so many companies, and I'm, I'm, I keep this database. A database is a fancy word for it. Collection might be better. Of uh, silliness that I've heard about it, where, where kind of people kind of oversell how innovative something is. I mean, Kellogg's actually called a press conference to talk about how they had cre- how their latest innovation, and that innovation was that they'd added peanut butter flavoring to uh, the Pop Tart, which is something that they've had on their kind of uh, uh, on their menu, as it were, for over deal. fifty years. So, so when a new flavor of Pop-Tart is an innovation, the term becomes meaningless. And I've, I uh, have um, a, a pencil sharpener that is sold as a radical innovation in pencil sharpening technology. It isn't. It's a pencil sharpener that's slightly better than many other pencil sharpeners. Mm-hmm. And and I think that this is at the core of innovation fatigue. When we overdo- sell it, when we overdo it, or... And, and it's interesting you mentioned financial services because I've worked quite a lot with fintech lately. Hmm. When we don't really talk about, okay, how do we make this meaningful? Uh, that's when when we sometimes kind of lose, uh, lose our employees, lose our staff, lose the interest, or, or even lose the people who actually want to be our fans. So I was talking to, to this fintech guy. I was kind of saying, oh yeah, yeah, but so so, do you, what do you think about fintech? And I said, I think fintech is a fantastic field. I, I I really enjoy the potential of fintech because there's so many big problems that fintech can solve. And obviously, you being an African know the problem of the unbanked, uh, the problem of people who cannot afford, uh, or basically where insurance isn't designed in a way that is meaningful to them, uh, people who get basically uh, screwed over by various forms of fraud. There is so much good that fintech can do. But quite often when I talk to fintech companies in Europe, and uh, this might be a European thing, it's basically they want to have one more bank, a mobile-first bank with a really funky card. And I go, I have five of those banks in my iPhone already. I don't need a sixth. Okay, so you have a metal card. Fancy. I... I don't really, with Apple Pay, I don't think I need your metal card. I think there are people you can serve better than trying to sell me more of what I already have. And this is sort of my my kind of moral spiel, is that uh, and I, I'm a huge fan of Africa, uh, currently working with a few things in, in Equatorial Guinea, for instance, because I believe that innovation can be so meaningful for Africa. And, and there can be so much interesting kind of growing out of Africa as a field because there are still such enormous problems, but still such enormous potential in Africa. And the thing that makes me angry about a lot of innovation is that it's directed to guys who look a lot like me. So So... I live in a rich country. You can't get over it. Denmark is a rich country. I'm not rich, but I get paid decently. I mean, I I don't I don't walk around fearing spend expenditures. I I pay my bills. I can buy toys if I want them. Uh, it's it's I, I do okay. And I don't have any real problems. I mean, my problems is are stuff on the level of yeah, I really should go to the gym more. Or, uh, uh, my God, why can't they make a new uh, version, of, a new season of succession as quickly as I'd like it? Those are my main problems in life. And at the same time, I know that in Africa and Asia and South America, there are the unbanked, there are the uninsured, there are people literally starving to death when they do not need to starve to death. When the the reason they starve to death is a solvable problem. It's a logistics problem far more than it's simply a a problem of there not being food in the world. And then when a fintech guy comes to me and says, oh, our mobile bank has a titanium card. I'm going to go, you're not thinking big enough. You're not really looking at the right things. Go find an actual problem to solve rather than trying to sell me more of what I already have. Okay, rant over, but uh, that's why I believe African innovation. And and actually, what I mean that it's not just innovation in Africa, but African innovation is going to be huge. It's going to be truly world-changing.
1: Ralph, I'm going to drop you a link on the chat because I want to talk about um, meaningful innovation for a second. Excuse me. So Mm -hmm. um, there's this, I'm going to share it up on the screen here as well for you guys. So, um, this is oh, the, the hippo roller. The hippo So, this is like this for me, this came across like when i like, I don't even, it feels like several like decades ago, but when the podcast was still going around and was <laughs> back then still, uh, nothing's really changed. But anyway, I met this guy who's a social entrepreneur and he was the founder of Hippo Roller. And uh, this is just to your point around, you know, meaningful innovation. And you spoke about innovation theater. You know, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I I truly believe that, you know, uh, I was going to actually ask you about the, your your view on the relationship between marginal gains and innovation because if you think about mm-hmm. the idea of a marginal gain, so an incremental improvement, mm-hmm. a simple idea mm-hmm. that can solve a real problem in a meaningful way in markets mm-hmm. that or uh, for customers that need it most, and the Hippo roller is one of those examples where, you know, uh, women or uh, villagers were. Really battling to carry water from rivers to the village and back, and so they created a, a bucket. Essentially, you fill it with the water, and it's got it's almost like a trolley, but it rolls on the ground, and it allows you know obviously uh, the the transportation of water in a much more meaningful and simple and effective way. Reduces water wastage and all sorts of things, and obviously water being a key you know thing. So, um, uh, you know, it, what is your relation, your view then on the relationship? to, you know, you know, marginal gains based meaningful innovation, if that's a thing, because to your point, I think if you think about fintech, everyone's trying to become a digital bank, you know, it's like, how do we, mm-hmm. like, how do we get a greater share of the consumer wallets using a, a you know, a smartphone? It's like, okay, uh, that's fine. Cool. Do it. Great. You know, there's lots of amazing fintech problems out there, but then just adjacent to that, you've got this entire African continent who cannot move water, so then you've got a simple idea that's truly – every time I see it, I go, that is a great – that is an exact mm-hmm. perfect example of how, what innovation should mean in a modern yeah. world, right? Because there's yeah. this gap now. We, we get so – my view is we get so romanced about the cool, sexy, new, shiny app thing, you know, the new social mm-hmm. network clubhouse. Like I don't give a toss about that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when, when there's these real-world problems – like even universal basic income as an example, or decentralized NFTs as an example. Like I know it's not exactly <laughs> sitting in the African space, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get across is, you know, there's this, I, there's this paradigm shift. My view is there's, there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen. And as a consequence of that, a relationship that we all have as entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. To the mm-hmm. idea of innovation itself and what it should mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do yeah. I know? I said a lot there, but I'd love to get your views yeah. on any of that stuff.
0: <laughs> no, I think I think this we are we are very close to one of the key issues of of contemporary innovation. And I wrote a short essay I uh, was published in a book by thinkers fifty, uh, which was on undersolving and oversolving problems because I kind of realized that a lot of innovation uh, doesn't hit. The perfect spot, because solving a problem perfectly is actually super rare, because you always tend to either oversolve or undersolve. So, oversolving problems can be can be can actually also be productive. So, I was not trying to say that oversolving is always uh, bad, but of the oversolving a problem is what we often do. Is that when we, for instance, the hippo roller? I think the hippo roller is what I would call productive undersolving. It's it's doesn't. Perfectly solve all the problems of uh, of transporting water because it's still quite cumbersome. Uh, it's you can only get so much into it, uh, and so on. But it's still productive undersolving because it it generates. It's better than what was there before. Similarly. Uh, I think that one of the the most heartwarming things I've ever seen were documentaries about people in rural Africa uh, who gained access to bicycles, used bicycles sent from uh, Western countries, because the bicycle is a tremendous undersolving technology. It is one of the most fantastic technologies in the world. Because do you know how much cassava you can actually transport on a bicycle if you really try? Amazing amounts, and the the. Kind of marginal gain from that is absolutely astronomical for the individual Tassava farmer. So similarly, the hippo roller, I think it's a it's an undersolve. It's a productive undersolving. It's not. It doesn't come with this app. It doesn't come with a digital edition. It doesn't perfectly solve all the problems, but it it is productive undersolving. And what I see we in the West do far too much is this improductive oversolving. So. I mean, I like memes and uh, and gifts just as much as the next guy, but the amount of people who work on making it easier for me to send gifts to my kids is just ridiculous. Uh, and at the same time, there are all these problems in, for instance, Africa that could, with far less effort than is now used, be actually solved and and kind of be then extended. And I was looking at the hippo roller and, and it's fun because I've seen the hippo roller a couple of times and I really admire it. But I've also realized that there is one thing more that could be done with the hippo roller that would require uh, a bit of reworking it uh, and it would require something but would which actually would make uh, it even a better solution. Because there's two things uh, that uh, a lot of African women uh, have to battle with uh, daily. And I know this sounds patronizing for a white guy from Denmark to, to try to explain how, what African women are dealing with daily. Of course, I do not know. But I, I know tiny bits. I'm trying to kind of uh, do my best here. Uh, one is transporting water. The other is washing clothes. Why isn't the hippo roller refurbished to also be a washing machine? Because what's what's a washing machine? Well, a washing machine is basically a rolling thing that has a thing that kind of guides clothes around so they don't just stick into one spot. You could actually, by redesigning the hippo roller, you could have it as a water transporter in one way, and then later in the day actually be a washing machine. Possibly then just putting it up on a stick structure and then just rotating it by hand or having some form of hand crank and i'm not saying that this is what hipoala should do i'm using that as an example to say that there are so many things we could do where a small step forward could actually ease the uh really those who are struggling the most uh in uh the world today which are which is blinded because we're so excited by way for the fact that later today uh Apple will may, may be bringing us new iPads and we're all excited and they might even bring us AirTags, which means that we who own too many things can now put tags on our things so it's, they're easier to find. And I always think about this, and, and I'm a fanboy. I'm an Apple fanboy and I'll, sad to say, I'll probably buy everything they launched today. Uh, but I'm kind of also realizing just how ridiculous it would sound to a person in let's say chad or equatorial guinea yeah one of my problems is i own so much stuff that i really need a digital tag to keep track keep track of all my stuff and they go that's your problem you have too much stuff you need to keep track of it digitally
1: it's an important (laughs) world (laughs) it sucks (laughs) for a lot of people (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Have you watched, um, just uh, speaking about meaningful innovation, have you watched a series on Netflix called, uh, brave, brave blue world? Have you seen that?
0: No. No, that's gone by. You have to remember, Netflix is different in different uh, parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it, it might be available here, but I haven't come across it. That's
1: cool. No worries. Uh, I, I, pick, I sent yeah, you. Yeah. The, I sent you the link on on, on Zoom Okay. Um, but um, if you can find it on Netflix, I highly recommend any for everybody watching and, and listening to check it out because it's um, it's actually narrated by Liam Neeson, the actor, obviously, and then it's it's produced by Matt. Mm-hmm. At demon. Uh and it's all and what I found incredible is that you know, I think there's going back to this, you know, innovation theater, there's in that space you've got, you know, Uber, Airbnb, Slack, blah, blah. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, you've got all the unknown stories, right, around uh, like scientists Engineers sitting in mm-hmm. Spain Or in the south of America Or in LA Like solving the world's water crisis That is like imminent Like in LA mm-hmm. There's a, a river That there's a rights debate around In a particular mm-hmm. river And that's like It's a big issue now And it's like not mm-hmm. being resolved um, And yet there's so many Meaningful innovations That this Brave Blue World uh, Documentary series um, explores um that mm-hmm. I think is just is just so fascinating, so i wanted, to, I'm cognizant of time professor, so I just wanted to maybe um, tee up some few, uh, some quick fire stuff with you if you mm-hmm. If you're sure. sitting in front of a young aspiring entrepreneur who wants let's just say he's a, he or she, she is a social entrepreneur sitting in Africa somewhere, mm-hmm. and she wants to make a difference to her local community. what's like the one piece of advice you'd like to give her about how to solve complex problems in a meaningful way? <laughs>
0: In a meaningful way. Well, uh, to start to solve them for, for somebody... I think often startup entrepreneurs kind of become so excited and want to kind of solve everyone's problems at the same time, but that rarely works. We need to find uh, the specific people whose problems we're trying to solve. And we also need to think about, are these really the ones who are the most, not the most important, but are these really the ones who who most deserve to have their problems solved? Uh, So... Uh, For instance, why I love the hippo roller so much uh, is is simply because it it took and it realized, okay, this won't solve uh, all of the uh, African issues, but it will solve a specific issue for a specific group of people. So uh, so find your audience or find uh your your group, find your niche. Uh you almost always grow out of, regardless if you're a social entrepreneur or or doing something far more let's say media friendly, uh by by starting with a niche, uh you you often can grow into surprisingly big kind of uh, surprisingly big company because well, adjacencies will take you further. Mm. So, I mean, two of, two of my former students started a company called SoundCloud, which became almost a, a unicorn. Uh, originally, they, they geared that towards electronica artists of such weirdness that I simply couldn't listen to the stuff that they were putting out. But uh, they realized you grow from your niche.
1: Absolutely. We've done that, 100% agree. You have to choose, because if you don't choose, you're dead, like literally. literally. Yeah. Um, I asked you earlier on, uh, Professor, about what do you know to be true about the subject of innovation that nobody else knows. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's your short answer on that one? Where, where do you land?
0: I think I land on innovation is a sometime thing. There is no such thing as eternal innovation. There is no such thing as eternal creativity. Uh, it, it is temporary. It's fleeting. And uh, every time we think we caught it, uh, it slips further away. So you can't rest on your laurels. The only thing we know about the future is that it will always surprise us. And uh, whatever was innovative yesterday uh, will be just boring tomorrow.
1: Yeah. And, uh, if you could get into a time machine and go back to yourself, I know you mentioned you were, you know, let's just say, we're not going to mention the age again, but let's just say you were going back to yourself when you were wiser, <laughs> uh, but, uh, a younger you, let's just say you were in your early twenties and you could say, Hey, professor, future professor Alf, <laughs> you know, here's what I want you to know about the world, uh, and how it works. Uh, what's that? What's that one thing you want to get across to yourself when you're, you know, that younger, curious you?
0: Well, I think. Now I don't. I don't. I have. I have no regrets. I, I love the life I've lived, so so I wouldn't want to tell my younger my my younger myself something like, "Oh, you should be careful of that person," or "or uh, you have to do this," or "remember to uh, invest in Apple before uh, they become truly big." Um, I think what I what I always answer this question is the same thing I told my son because I see my son almost as a younger version of me. The future isn't in Europe, so travel. Travel as much as you can. Go as far afield as you can. The thing I sort of regret was not taking on that job in China. The the thing I regret is uh, not really traveling as much to Africa as I should have. Those those are the sort of the things that I believe we European Westerners uh, need to kind of think about is that the, the real future. Is is far beyond our shores. Uh, so, uh, so if I would have advised my younger self, it would have been a lot more. Yeah, take more risks and travel further along. Uh, I have been far along, uh, but uh, but um, I wish I'd done even more of it. And maybe that's particularly now when we can't travel. But still,
1: yeah, no, but it's a true thing. I think. The, uh, are you familiar with a company called Nasper's? Have you heard of that name before? Naspers uh,
0: is that the company who owns uh, so much of Alibaba that yes. they're really having troubles right now because accounting is becoming a nightmare. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, of course, right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so so I think his name's Chris, but he when he uh, before he founded Naspers, he did that exact thing that you said. He went and he travelled. He went to India. He went to China, and he looked at e-commerce, and he said, "Great, we're now going to do this." And he exited his business. He had capital, and so that that was literally the genesis of. Um, of um, you know, of uh, of of Naspers and even uh, uh, you know uh, Steve Jobs in his autobiography as well uh, that I read. He travelled, you know, um, and a lot of his obsession about creative thinking and design and and products that really mean something came from his experiences in India and as a Yogi and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. totally true. Uh, just for my information, you mentioned you read a lot. Where do you go to get your information from? Because I find I'm almost like, I'm like oh, PBC and then I'm like, oh, where do I go? I don't want to go to Silicon Valley sites. <laughs> so where do you go? What, what do you regard as, you know, great sources of information for entrepreneurs who want to get exposed to great thinking?
0: Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of the curated blogs. I, I follow lots of weird newsletters. Uh, there are websites just as boing, boing that I follow follow religiously, uh, fully knowing that it's my, maybe like one out of 20 things that will lead me to something productive. Um, but yeah, but it, it that's, it's a constant struggle. Um, what I do is basically allow myself, uh, quite a lot of time a day to to go down rabbit holes. Uh, you know, when you start reading something on Wikipedia, and then there's a weird link, and you go to that link, and then you go to the next link, and then you go to the next link, and, and then you realize, as I, as I did yesterday, uh, I was reading about uh, the back history of um, a classic American serials such as Cap'n Crunch and Count Chocula. Now, some might say this isn't the most productive way to use your time as an innovation professor, but I maintain this is the secret to my success. Uh, I allow myself these wilder flights of fancy and reading books that I have no idea why I'm reading them. Just finished the, the uh, wonderful biography of Dylan Thompson, the Welsh poet. I have no idea why. Uh, I just realized I haven't read a biography of Dylan Thompson. Uh, so I did simply to to have a little bit more here in the back of my mind. So maybe one day reading about Count Chocula and his sugar-laden cocoa puffs and Dylan Thomas will somehow kind of merge together and a brilliant new idea will form. At least a boy can dream.
1: I know, right? Uh, if I may, uh, a great book that I'm reading is um, Genghis Khan, The Making of the Modern World. Uh, and even if you have you read that and no but i love
0: myself uh, anytime you can kind of uh read up on a wild mongolian you should (laughs) and i can also recommend to you uh the fantastic um genre of music you can do a little youtube searching of mongolian folk rock there's some Uh, folk metal coming out of mongolia that is truly bizarre and absolutely wonderful what's the band's
1: name can you recall?
0: Oh, I, I the, their names tend to be so complicated that uh, it's I who, can give you.
1: Uh, it's this one, The Who, the, the H-U. Yes, The Who. Yeah, the
0: there who. You go. I mean, yeah. Wonderful, yeah,
1: wonderful and, stuff. My kids love that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
1: but there you go, right? There you go. Um, great. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. It's been a real privilege and uh, honor to have you on the show.
0: It's been a joy. Uh, let's uh, chat again soon.
1: We will do. Take care and uh, stay safe. We will do. Thanks, Alf. Thanks, guys, for checking in. Cheers, cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Map Round Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history so if you've been catching this on the podcast please head on over to our youtube channel and pound that subscribe button it would be great to catch the video version there and if you want a free copy of my number one amazon best-selling book you're in a game for free right now today you can grab that on mathbrownshow.com forward slash ebook